Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Gino. I'm Trevor. And I'm Cheesy. Today's topic is how do you do architecture in continuous delivery? And we will leave the do as ambiguous as we can because who knows how architecture works? I certainly don't. Uh, I think it's about designing some UML diagrams and then giving them to developers who use a tool to take that UML diagram, generate code, and deploy to production. That's how architecture works. I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, is, is that how you've been doing architecture? I'm not quite sure if you're talking about architecture in the first place. <laughs> Maybe you're just talking about designing your application right now, unless, of course, kind of depends on the UML diagrams that you're using. Well, that's how I do architecture. How do you do architecture? Uh, I've always understood that architecture is something that, well, there's there's two points to it, right? So it's something that really emerges to some degree from, uh, or the design at least, from from uh, the work that you're doing and how you uh, approach your uh, your solution. But for me, architecture are really the big pieces uh, in, in a solution that work together in order to, uh, to accomplish a certain objective. So that might be different systems that might be with different responsibilities, how they talk, the communication mechanisms and so forth between them, what the responsibilities of those systems are. That's what I consider to be the architecture. Architecture, as has been taught in the school of large organizations, is there is an architecture team that has a system architecture that is sort of given to teams, and those teams must follow that architecture. Uh, on the contrary, you have a you have a another belief, which is architecture is not something that is given to a team. Architecture is something that uh, the team is responsible for, and the word you used, you know, is emerge. It emerges from the team. Do we have to differentiate the types of architecture that the team is responsible for versus the types of architecture that somebody other than the team is responsible for? Yeah, absolutely. And and if you talk about large organizations, there is this uh, concept that, that some organizations use that they differentiate the one they call enterprise architecture and one they call application architecture. Now, what... Like whenever I hear enterprise architecture, it's only one thing comes to my mind, constraints. So for me, when I hear enterprise architecture, that's just for me an enterprise constraint. You have certain certain systems that you have to deal with, certain, certain and and that's just it's a given. Like you have you have to play in this in the in this large ecosystem. When it comes to application architecture, then I this is the another name I would like to use. I don't even like to use application architecture, I just like to use just application or application design because that where archi application architecture ends or design starts and whatnot i think it's so ambiguous that is there any point even talking about that i don't know what do you think cheesy i'll go back and just uh add a few comments i i completely agree with what what, what chava was saying you know the enterprise architecture though often handles things that are in larger companies like security or like audit requirements or things like this, right? So, you know, the auditors have dictated thou shalt do this thing. Uh, you don't want to necessarily reinvent that for every single team or in a large system where you have multiple core systems, you know, and you try to come up with some way of authenticating once and being able to connect into multiple systems. You know, those are sort of the things that I think often fall into that enterprise architecture type of, of system. And, and I think it is, a, is is probably a good thing at that level that somebody else is figuring a, a lot of that out because 
if every single team had to do that for themselves, it would be, be you know, overwhelming. Application architecture, I think, is a little bit different thing. You know, what, what, it, what it used to mean is where you would have somebody who would dictate, here's the tools that you use, here's the languages that you use, here's how you structure your code, you know, et cetera. And, and, and to be quite honest, th th there still is maybe a little bit of that today, but it's kind of lost a lot of its relevance. You know, uh, uh, for example, pretty much anymore, a lot of teams are using frameworks that that kind of dictate structure, you know, and pieces like that. So, for example, if you're using Angular on your front end, that there is sort of a preferred way to structure your code base, you know, et cetera, if you're using Spring, et cetera. But, but I think where, where we fall down is whenever there, there are so many constraints placed on the teams that the teams don't feel like they can experiment or grow or bring new tools in to learn. So for example, uh, you know, uh, recently it was working with a team where they used uh, TypeScript on the front end and Java on the back end, but that, that uh, it made a lot of sense for some teams to try to actually move more toward why don't we use type, TypeScript and Node on the back end as well so that we've got a common language, it's easier for us to mob, it's easier for us to pair, whatever. You know, in a, in a space where the team would be forbidden from doing that and experimenting that way, but instead be told, you know, you have to do only this thing and you can't vary outside of it, I think takes away the team's ability to experiment, that way the, the team's ability to grow. And, and to be quite honest, uh, bringing in more modern tools or, or whatever it might be. So so I think from a continuous delivery perspective, trying to bring it back to our topic, we just like we, we talk about our product folks uh, being able to experiment and learn and ideate rapidly, I think we need to also have a little bit of that spirit in our application architecture as well. How do you differentiate that ambiguous area that Chaba talked about? Are there any principles that maybe come to mind which sort of say, okay, this part definitely goes to the team, uh, the actual squad that's working on it, versus this thing kind of goes to an external body because there's there's a, what, what I'm hearing is that there is a fixed cost associated with that architecture, which we can kind of offload to a separate entity and they'll just pay it once rather than us sort of reinventing the wheel. What principles can we follow and keep in mind to kind of differentiate that ambiguous area that Chaba referred to? Well, I think it really comes down to uh, total cost of ownership, right? Or at least that's that's a very important one. Uh, Cheesy was referring to um, to security across an entire um, organizational landscape or whatever whatever software the organization builds. Um, another audit or, or uh, what was another example? I can think of uh, master data systems, for instance, where uh, that the way that that core data of this particular organization is represented. Um, it doesn't need to be reinvented 15 times over, right? Uh, if you can actually reuse that, that, that makes an awful lot of sense. So I think it's the, the amount of the architect architectural components make sense when they uh, are reused an awful lot. If you are building pieces that are within the context of your application of the piece that your team is working on, then you should have all freedom that, that is available to you. So in, in that sense, I, I find uh, it really hard to, uh, uh, to support an architectural or a so-called architectural decision that defines uh, which, app, which framework you need to use, 
and, and I'm talking then, or which language you to use, um, that you that you are asked to, for instance, use a messaging mechanism to uh, talk between the components or or exchange data between the components. I can follow that. I can I can uh, I think that that might make sense from an architectural perspective, but um, that you're using either TypeScript or Java or God knows what uh, that should never be an architectural decision, in my opinion. I would I would also add that since the emergence of of RESTful APIs, there is such a there's such an easy way to 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 almost segregate these these systems from each other because before before RESTful API would have emerged, let's say in the in the early two thousands when. And their technology, let's say you call uh, Java to Java or Cor- I remember Corba or, or, or whatever, right? So there were, I don't know, cheesy uh, soap or, or, or whatnot, right? So, so there were so, certain technologies that kind of you locked you in. If you have this system, that then you, you, would, you would have this system and this system and then which kind of c- carry forward. But since, since REST, I don't see any, I think you just have to define these boundaries. And this is, if you really want to, Think about enterprise architecture. I, I would think that would be a good good place for these folks to define these boundaries, these application boundaries, and then let everything else for the team because they just have to confirm, they just have to to abide to that contract to be able to interact with the organization with the with the other other systems. Uh, that, 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 that's where I would draw my line, to be honest. Cheesy, would you would you agree that um, like one of the main reasons architecture exists is to enable interoperability? I, I don't draw the lines at that level, though, uh, Zarar. So I, I guess I'll be a, a, a little bit of a contrarian. Or, or, or maybe let me start by, by talking about why I think that, that there's a problem around just saying, hey, we, we're going to define this interoperability. Um, what, what, and, and, and actually, let me be even more bold up front. Uh, if, if architecture only did that, it probably wouldn't be in the way as much as it is in so many organizations. Uh, what I've seen again and again is it's used of a way of controlling people, uh, or I've seen it used in, in, in environments where uh, people, uh, where there's this feeling that the developers are somehow a threat to the company and that we need to protect <laughs> the company from the developers. So, you know, we can't let them, I'll do whatever they want to willy nilly. Uh, that so unfortunately, I've seen architecture used that way. What that that line that you were talking about though was a very interesting uh, thing, and and unfortunately, all too often in and in, in this pursuit of good architecture and there's pursuit of reuse, we end up working against the idea of continuous delivery, and and what I mean by that is. I've just seen way too many places where there is this idea, well, you know, everybody in the organization needs access to this thing. So let me build an enterprise service that provides access to this thing. It's going to promote reuse. Clearly, that's going to be faster. Clearly, it's going to simplify everything. If we somehow need to change it, we need to change it in one place. And that's the beginning of disasters because what tends to happen in cases like that is they tend to build something that doesn't work exactly like anybody really needs. They try to go for this more generic approach. So they build something that that doesn't quite work for anybody, but almost works for everybody. And since now they have a lot of customers that there's a long queue to get changes, you know, now they have 30, 
uh, different applications that are consuming it. And if any one of those applications wants to change, they have to kind of stand in line. And what tends to happen also is we build these dependencies where now in order for me to deliver something, I've got all of these enterprisey things in the back that I have to interact with. You know, it's slow. I've got dependencies around changes and it just really impedes my ability to rapidly deliver. So I'm of the opinion that that's really a bad use. And that, that I think that, that trying to build reuse from that perspective, I've, I've never seen it work well. And what I have seen work well is places where they don't try to do that. They don't make reuse as the primary goal, but they make speed to market the primary goal, in which case then you can, you can optimize your team around that. If there is a service that works for you, you can use it, right? But if it, that service doesn't work for you and you believe it's faster for you to build your own, then you build your own. And it's just that simple. You know, it's optimizing around being able to deliver rapidly as opposed to optimizing around reuse. Yeah, and I would I would just add to what Jesus said that I think the fallacy there, because it's always looked from the producer's perspective. It never looked from a consumer's perspective. It always looks that this team can just write it once, and, the, and they're always talking about the producer, right? And and at that given point in time, uh, and this is the one of those those interesting fallacies. Nobody looks at the change, the cost of change. Everybody just looks at the cost of initial build, and because it's very very hard to con- quantify the cost of change. But to to, to Cheese's point, that change is always coming. That change is inevitable. And 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 just uh, nobody thinks of it. And this this is this is fascinating that they go from organization to organization, and everywhere the same thing happens. That that they just focus on this very initial initial first step. So, so far, I've heard that architecture should enable experimentation, time to market uh, should be reduced, and also uh, I'd add that architecture should enable autonomy. You know, do you want to add any other? Maybe uh, maybe outputs of good architecture or behaviors that good architecture should enable. Uh, Chaba in the, in the beginning talked about constraining. Um, I I would like to look at those constraints as uh, guardrails because uh, those might be valuable uh, in in the sense, of course, that they're not uh, blocking your autonomy. Um, so I would I would like that as well. For me, architecture is is about guardrails. I think this alignment, I would expand this alignment and the autonomy, but what also Hino mentioned that alignment over this, this big picture, these guardrails, and then leave the autonomy to the teams. We, we didn't actually talk about alignment uh, in, in, in this discussion. Because what I often find is that there's always a team that looks at the enterprise architecture or some sort of architecture that's given to the team and goes like, well, this is garbage or this is old, or this is not a good idea at all, but there's no mechanism necessarily to challenge it. The, the constraints that Chaba and Hino alluded to, there's no structure in place to actually challenge it. It's like thou shalt. So I'd, I'd add one more thing. Architecture should enable upwards communication and have a feedback open to change it. I think that's the part that's sort of maybe missing. You mean a feedback loop? Come on. <laughs> Inspect and adapt. Inspect and adapt. Inspect and adapt. Okay. Is that is that possible in this in this case? I think so. I, I think feedback and inspect and adapt are are functions or outcomes of good architecture. So we we leave it at that. Chaba's making a, a face that he wants to say something. Chaba, go ahead. I just want to say leave comments. 
uh, leave feedback for for us whatever whatever platform you are you have a chance to leave so we get we get the chance to get our our feedback and inspect and adapt okay awesome thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week or maybe the week after or at some point soon enough goodbye